Hello everyone, my name is Arweta Wanomarin, and this is my channel, It Pays to Fear God. This is where we learn about God, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and their kingdom purpose, the three most important subjects that we can ever learn about, talk about, or discuss in the entire Holy Bible, according to John chapter 17, verse 3. The subject that I have prepared for you and myself today is captioned, The Armor of God. However, before I get into that, I once again have a tune that some of us might enjoy. Once again, the subject that I have prepared for you and myself today is captioned, The Armor of God. The Armor of God is a very easy subject to understand once we know how the physical armor works. And St. Paul tied it together very well in Ephesians chapter 6 from verses 10 right down to 17. In those eight verses, St. Paul enumerated the different parts of the armor, starting off with the girdle in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. The girdle is like a belt, or was a belt, obviously, because nowadays military technology has advanced beyond metal and iron. But before, you'd have a belt, a girdle, as the Bible would put it, that would allow all the other parts of the armor to be secure. And it would be like a belt that we usually wear from time to time. Then there would be a breastplate, a big part of the armor that would go in front of your heart and chest, so that if any weapons are flying around, it does not affect your heart. Then there'd be your feet being shod, as the King James Version would say, or covered, just as how we wear shoes if we generally want to go outside. Then there is our shield, our shield of faith, very important, our helmet too, and our sword. Not everything is just for defending ourselves, we also have to actually oppose the opponent, and that would be what our sword is for. And all of those things mean very important things in the spiritual armor of God. We must not be caring about the physical armor, but the spiritual armor of God, the armor of light, according to Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Just as how the spiritual armor of God is like that, there are spiritual battles that will need to be fighting in this world, namely the temptation Satan sends us. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, so on and so forth. Second Corinthians chapter 10, from verses 3 to 6. What are those strongholds, for example? Those are the various laws and principles, policies, etc., that people give us. Those ideas that Satan the devil himself generates, him and his organization, the abomination of desolation, according to Matthew chapter 24 in verses 15 and 16. And those imaginations, the policies, and the product of Satan's organization. We must reject such ideas. 
They are flying all around this world. And those are the spiritual battles we need to be fighting. Temptations not coming from a thousand miles away, but from indeed our own house, our own workplace, generally our own environment. According to Matthew chapter 10, from verses 36 right down to 38, it's important we understand this fact. Somebody who had worn the spiritual armor and had defeated somebody very big, but not with physical armor, was David in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He killed Goliath with his stones, not with physical armor. The people who were wearing physical, physical armor, like Saul, he couldn't, he couldn't defeat Goliath. He was wearing the armor, but David wore the spiritual armor of God. He had faith in God, which was why that was so much more powerful than the physical armor and could defeat Goliath, while the people who were dressed in such heavy metal and iron couldn't actually defeat Goliath. So it's important to understand the spiritual armor is very powerful, which is why we should be wearing it. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 17, actually. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 5, and some other places all over the Bible. The armor of God was spoken about it there, just as how in Ephesians chapter 6 from verses 10 to 17. Now, like I said, Paul in that Ephesians chapter 6 had enumerated the various parts of it, and he started off with the girdle. The girdle as I said before, was a belt that would go around your body and would prevent the other parts from not being secured. Similarly, the truth of Christ that we are supposed to be studying is necessary because it's building that foundation at which we're going to be worshiping God, building our own house. There were two illustrations in Luke chapter 6 from verses 46 to 49 of a man that would build a house upon a rock and a man that would build a house upon sand. People who built it upon rocks, they studied the Bible properly, and they lived their lives by it. They're building steady foundations, steady relationships with God. But people who are 50-50, building it upon sand, the wind comes, blows vehemently upon that house, and indeed, the ruin of that house is great. Matthew chapter 7, from verses 21, right down to 27, the illustration was also given there. We must study the truth properly. But whoso looketh? To the perfect law of liberty, and continue it therein. He be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. James chapter 1, verse 25. You can also read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Studying the Bible is very important. And it doesn't make us free. It makes us free indeed. John chapter 8, and verses 31, 32, and 36. Jesus Christ could indeed testify to the statement. He was physically in bondage. There are people battling him. There are people destroying him. But in the spiritual sense, he was as free as the birds of the air, as the lions in the wilderness. While those people who were destroying him were physically free, they could do whatever they wanted, but spiritually they were in deep bondage. They were spiritually lifeless to God. According to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 16, once we have the wisdom of God, it preserves us. Understanding will allow us to understand what's happening in these last days and make correct decisions so that we're taking the right way, the narrow way, not the broad way. According to Proverbs chapter 2 from verses 10 to 12 and the parable or the statement of the narrow way and the broad way in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. Then once we have the girdle, we need the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness according to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, and also Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. That breastplate of righteousness, like I said, the breastplate covering your heart, the heart condition that we have to have is very important. We cannot 
completely be righteous before God, except if our heart condition is completely in line with God. We're not to be like King Amaziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 25 in verses 1 and 2, who would do the physical things that you're supposed to do. He would keep the Feast of Tabernacles. He would you know, sacrifice bulls or whatever to God. Those are things anybody can do once you're trained. However, that is not where God really is. He set up those institutions, remember, and if you didn't obey them, you would be destroyed by God. But those are not really where God is. God was in your heart. That is why you don't need to pray to God physically. You don't need to really physically do lots of things. It's in your heart condition. That is where all the spiritual battles are. They are not in the very physical stuff that you do from day to day. It's in your heart and the heart of others. That is not just where the blessings are. That, that is also where the biggest battles that you have to fight are. So that is where our biggest attention should be. That is also where the righteousness comes from. However, because many people's heart conditions are not in the right place, they do not love God with all their heart, soul, and might, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. As a result, they cannot cope with having to deal with the righteousness of God. Instead, they want to mix up God's righteousness with their own kind of righteousness and then go ahead and sell it to God. It's like instead of just choosing one or two things in the menu, you want to try and tell the waitress, okay, I want to mix these two meals together. Can you do that? Take this meal of fried rice and chicken. Take this meal of something else. Mix them together. Can I have it? No. You have to choose something that's already on the menu. That's why God's biggest enemies are not really people who just don't do what he wants. It's people who want to take some of what he wants, take some of what Satan the devil wants, mix them together. Once you do that, you are being the enemy of both Satan the devil and God, and you're in big judgment. That is why personal righteousness is something we should never try going for. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own personal righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10, from verses 1 to 3. Personal righteousness is bad. We should not do what King Saul had done in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where God strictly told him, uttered to him, that he had to kill all the Amalekites. Instead, he decided to save King Agag, decided to save all the noble sheep, all the sheep that would be good for offerings. And instead of following God said what God said, created excuses to wanting to bail him out of that by saying, Oh, wait, but I thought you liked sacrifices. And I'm saving the best of bulls, the best of sheep, those rams, so that I can go and sacrifice them to you. No, you cannot disobey God to obey God. He was not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. So we as Christians must accept God's righteousness as the true righteousness and follow through with that all the way till the end of our lives. Then, there's our feet being shod, or our feet being covered. Physically, your feet have to be covered, because if you are battling on rough terrain, you need protection. Otherwise, your feet are going to be destroyed by the rocks and grubs that you're generally going to be stepping on. Similarly, in these last days, we should not be found dining with people, not just physically eating with them, but generally interacting with people who do not have any sort of hope for spirituality, hope for eternal life of any kind. Many people who call themselves Christians are dining, taking instruction from people 
who don't have any form of spirituality at all. Rather, we are supposed to be walking in newness of life, walking in the light, according to John chapter 8, verse 12, John chapter 3, from verses 18 to 21, and many other places all over the Bible. We should never try to want to do anything that's in darkness. We should be wearing the armor of light, according to Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Our feet should be covered. We should never be found in places where there is no spiritual peace, but rather be found in places where spiritual peace reigns. That is where our lamp, the truth, can guide us. Our feet can be guided by the truth. Our feet are covered, according to Psalm 119, verse 105. It's very important we understand this. And it's through that that we can go dispense the message to others. But here's where many people get it wrong. Many people do not understand the fact that you can't be holding back the truth to yourself. Many people know the truth, but they're ashamed to go dispense it to others. We must be like St. Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, if we are ashamed of teaching Christ's gospel, Jesus Christ himself is going to be ashamed of us. According to Mark chapter 8, verse 38, we must show the correct example. Our feet must be covered with the spiritual peace. Then, there is our shield. The shield is one of the most iconic parts of the armor. Physically, you hold the shield, you deflect all the kinds of, all the kinds of weapons that are going to be thrown at you. Whether it's a sword that somebody wants to use to kill you, or whether it's a bow and arrow, or a bullet, or whatever it is. Shields are very important in battle. And spiritually, our faith is so crucial that you cannot worship God without faith. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And what is that faith? It's built by wisdom. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. Which is why I said you need to study the Bible. And trying times like this, when everybody's sitting at home, when everybody's got so much time, you should use that time to study the Bible. Build your faith based on that. Because faith is that essential tool so that when temptations come, you can block them. You don't fall by them. You, you believe in God. People who believe in God are not people who said, we are the children of Abraham. We are this, we are that. No. People who have to go through a lot in order to be justified before God. Like St. Paul. St. Paul was boasting about the various persecutions that he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, from verses 24 to 33. He said, he was given 40 lashes, save what? Which is essentially 39 lashes. lashes. And he got that five times. If you do the math, he got 195 lashes, essentially, in different times. He was beaten by the rod. He was really persecuted, and he was boasting about that. He wasn't just saying, oh, dang it, I, I really, I'm, not, I'm so sad I've been broken. I'm ashamed. No, he was boasting with that. He knew he had faith in God, which is why he had advised Timothy to have that good faith. Fight the good fight of faith. According to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, we must build our faith and our belief. Have the helmet of salvation. The helmet and the shield are very similar because they are both trying to deflect our helmet, of course, deflecting shots that are going to be coming to our head. We have to have hope in what God is doing. Hope and faith are things people don't understand. They think they can have faith, have hope in things that they can literally see. 
Like when you're traveling and then you can see your destination. I hope, I hope. But you're looking at it. That's not how we're supposed to be having faith in something. It's important we know that we have to be having hope in God. According to Romans chapter 8 and verses 24 and 25. Romans chapter 12 verse 12. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Jesus Christ was somebody who really had faith in God's plan. In Matthew chapter 26 and verses 39 and 42. He prayed to God to take that cup. Simply being a human. Because no human really wants to die. So Jesus Christ said, I would wish it is in my personal interest for you to take it away from me. But your will still must be done. But it's important we understand. We must never be trying to advise God. Suggest God. Like, oh, you know, let's do it this way instead of what God had already planned. No. We should make sure that we are agreeing with God's principles and living our lives according to it. Then, there is one more very important element, and that's the sword. The sword is a very important part of the armor. Because, like I said in the beginning, it's not just to make sure nobody can kill you. You actually have to go and try to kill other people. And the sword is the truth. Because the truth is a very powerful thing. For the word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is sharp on both sides, but the truth is sharper than that. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The truth is so powerful that when Peter the Apostle spoke the truth in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, 3,000 people were baptized and converted. In Acts chapter 4 verse 4, 5,000. Add that to the 3,000. And they just kept going and going and going. Same with us teaching the truth. Same with the saints. When they teach the truth, according to Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 and many other places all over the Bible, when we teach the truth, it's going to convert many people in the end. God, of course, being the one to convert them. According to John chapter 6, verse 44, because it's Him and Jesus Christ who are the ones who have that power to bring people to God. Ours, our job, is just to teach it. But it's important that we have the understanding the truth is very powerful, and that is our sword, the very iconic part of our own armor. Now, all of the points that I've just mentioned are at the front of your body, the breastplate, your, your shoes even, and all the other parts. However, your back doesn't really have anything. Maybe just armor, just random metal. But it doesn't really have anything. And that represents our faith having to be kept to the end. It's not having faith that really matters. It's keeping that faith to the end. We must press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. For we are many partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence, the beginning of our hope towards God, steadfast unto the end. According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. We must be patient. We must have faith and hope that God is really going to bring what He has promised to come to pass. According to Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 35 and 36, and verses 38 and 39. Matthew chapter 24, in verses 12 and 13. First Peter chapter 1 verse 9 even, when Peter the Apostle told us we need to have our faith reach the end to reach the salvation of our souls. I hope I've made it clear now the importance of us wearing the Christian armor. It's spiritual battles we're fighting against our wives, against our children, against whoever. We must fight those battles because as the, most, as the big saying goes, 
And the biggest challenges we face, whether it's to God, whether it's to whoever, those biggest challenges are going to end up bringing the greatest rewards. Fighting that good fight of faith makes us say what St. Paul had stated in 2 Timothy chapter 4, from verses 6 to 8, that he fought the good fight of faith, and now he was just waiting for him to die as usual, and then be resurrected by God, according to John chapter 5, in verses 28 and 29, and inherit all the rewards. Him being an apostle, meaning that he was going to heaven to inherit those rewards from us, inheriting them, inheriting them on earth, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and Psalm chapter 37, in verses 10 and 11. And I choose to end my talk on the subject, the armor of God. To conclude this episode, and once again have a tune that some of us might enjoy. Hope you enjoyed this video. Hope you learned something most importantly. Click the subscribe button and like button, notification bell, whatever. Because it's very important that we as Christians, better at all of humanity, have the understanding that we need to be wearing the armor of God, the armor of light, wearing the helmet of salvation, and all the other parts that come with it. Because this is one way of understanding what we need to do in order to be saved and therefore inherit all the rewards. God has promised to them that love him, the biggest being eternal life. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.